Leo Tolstoy, a famous Russian author, uh, known mostly for some pretty large beefy novels, uh, did write a number of short stories. And one of those short stories was called, How Much Land Does a Man Need? And it's a story about a, a peasant named Payhome. Now, Payhome, though he's, he's poor, he's a peasant, uh, he comes across the opportunity to acquire some land. And in this culture at this time, land, land was wealth. If you had land, you were, you were somebody. And as Payhome got this land, man, it just, it just inflamed him with a desire for more. He liked this. I like land. I want some more. And uh, he kind of began looking toward that. Well, he comes across a, a traveling merchant. And this traveling merchant, and getting to know Payhome, says, Well, man, let me tell you something. I know where you can get the best lands in the world, uh, right here in our own nation. On a distant part of the country are these, these most incredible lands, rich soils, lakes, streams, the, the wildlife, the view. I mean, it's, this is incredible land, and, and you can have it for almost nothing. Well, man, that's all Payhome needed to hear. He said, yeah, this sounds cool. He packed up his stuff. He had a servant with him, and, and they traveled across the country to go and see about acquiring these lands. Well, in his travel, as he's going along, he, he comes into the lands and he's, he's walking across them. And I mean, it is, it is so much better than even the traveling merchant could, could describe. And he's thinking, this is incredible. And, and he meets the chief. And, and right away, he says, how can I purchase some of these lands? What, what is the cost of these lands? And the chief says, well, it's a thousand rubles a day. And... Payham says, I, 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 don't, I don't quite understand that, that measurement. What, what do you mean a, a thousand rubles a day? And he said, you can have as much land as you can walk out, as you can mark in a day. Just, just one rule, you have to finish where you start. Well, Payham says, yeah, that, that, okay, that, that sounds good. I can do that. I, I'm for that. And so they agree they're going to meet the next morning at sunrise and, and Payhome's going to walk out, it's going to mark out the land that, that he wants. Well, he, he that night is sleeping and, and he has a dream. And, and the dream is about the people and the events that have brought him here to this moment. He's, he's dreaming about the lands. He's dreaming about the traveling merchant and the, the chief he had met that afternoon. And, and as a matter of fact, he sees the chief kind of from a distance and, and the chief is, is laughing hysterically. I mean, you know, just out of control, just, just almost about to cry. He's laughing so hard. And, 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 and so Payhome in his dream kind of walks up on the chiefs wanting to see you know, what, what's so funny. Well, to his horror, he gets there, and, and the chief is not the chief. It's the devil. And the devil's laughing hysterically, and, and, and the devil is standing over a dead man. Payhome looks closer, and now, really to his horror, the dead man's him. Well, guess what? At this part of the dream, we get scared, right? So we wake up, ah! Ha! You know? That dream, you're wondering if it's real or not? Am I here? Am I alive? Is everything okay? Whew, okay, I, you know, I, that was just a dream. Woo, boy, that was a bad one. And, and, and it is about sunrise, so even though he was kind of emotionally shaken, he, you know, he kind of blew that off. It's time to get going. And so he gets out to where he was going to meet the chief. And, and, and the chief puts his hat on the ground and, and says, you know, put your money in there. And so, so Payhome drops his thousand rubles in the hat. It's, the sun's coming up, and, and he begins to walk. 
Kind of leisurely at first. It's a cool morning. It's a beautiful morning. He's just kind of taking it all in and enjoying it. And I mean, just think of the excitement. I mean, can you imagine? Every step I take, it's mine. Every step I take, this is, this is my land. And of course, that kind of gets you excited. So you think, I'm going to take more steps. So he starts hurrying a little bit. I mean, kind of getting into a jog. I want to cover as much land as I can. And, and finally, he gets to a point of the day where he's, you know, he's starting to realize, I'm pretty sure I've walked well past halfway into the day. I, I really need to start thinking about turning around. And he's, he's just about to put his marker down when he sees these incredible fields. And how, how could I live with myself? How could this be my boundary? And I know I had a chance to have these. I mean, this is where you'd plant crops. It's flat. The soil's rich. I mean, this is where you'd want. I, I got to get these fields. So it's just a little bit further. He goes to the other side of the fields, plants his marker, begins to make his way back. Now, he starts off on his way back pretty excited about the, the amount of land he's covered. But, but as he's getting into the heat of the day and he's really starting to realize how, how tired he is, how worn out he is, his excitement about the amount of territory now becomes his fear about the amount of territory he's got to cover. He, he, he's got to get back and, and, and it's starting to, the sun's starting to set and, and as he's getting near the end, it's, it's a lot hillier than I remembered this morning. He's up and down the hills and he, he's getting, you know, his breathing's getting labored, his legs are getting heavy, his heart's beating hard and he finally gets to a place, he comes, he's down in this valley, just one more hill, but he's done. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so physically exhausted? I mean, there still might be something important to do but you're done. There's no more. And probably emotionally what brought him to that is sun setting. It's dark. I've missed it. I didn't make it back. And I mean, just this depression comes crashing down over him. I didn't get the lands. I've lost my money. I've missed. And he's just kind of sitting there in this valley. And then all of a sudden he hears some cheering. And he actually sees up there the start-finish line. He sees where the, 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 the chief and the crowd are. And they're, they're cheering. They're, they're calling his name. And, and then it dawns on them. I'm down here in the valley. Yeah, the sun has set down here. But up there, they can still see the sun. Hey, I, I've still got time. And, and he starts to literally crawl, climb, tear his way up the hill, trying to get up there. Man, his heart is just coming out of his chest. And, and, he, and he comes up over the top of the hill, and right as he crests the hill, oh my gosh, he sees the chief laughing. It's the exact image of what he dreamed that morning. It looks just like Satan. And he screams, and he lunges at the feet of the chief with his money, or his hand landing right on the money, right on the hat at the feet of the chief, collapsing. Pay home servant gets a shovel. And digs out a grave for pay home. Six feet. From his head to his heels. That's all the land. That pay home needed. Exodus chapter 20. Verse 17 says. Do not covet. Your neighbor's house. Don't covet his wife. His male. His female slaves. His, his ox. Don't cut, matter of fact, don't covet anything. Anything of your neighbors, anything of others. Don't covet that. Today we finish our, our, our series, our study on the look of the Ten Commandments. 
And as we come to this last great word of these ten great words, like the nine before it, it is given in God's kindness. It is given in God's wisdom. God is for you. These aren't ten rules that if you can keep them, you can make an angry God happy. These are ten words given for you and for your life. And God in His kindness knows there's something about us that will lose control. There's something about us that, that will give away our whole life. There is something about us that will absolutely set us up to finish life laying at the feet of the devil as he laughs, dangling the bait that drew us in. And what is it that God warns of? Coveting. Coveting. Coveting is something that will steal from us. It will steal our lives. It will steal from us the ability to enjoy. It will steal from us the ability to, to ever be satisfied, to experience any kind of satisfaction. The word coveting very simply means desire. No more, no less. Except it is a little bit more. It's a strong desire. As a matter of fact, it's a desire on steroids. It's a strong, consuming desire. And I really do mean steroids. Steroids will empower and strengthen at first. Then they kill you. That's what coveting does. It's a strong, driving desire that will push you and motivate you at first. But then steal everything from you after that. It, 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 coveting will lead somebody to risk, to sacrifice all that they do have. They'll, they'll risk a home, their, their family, their marriage, their job. They'll risk all of that to go and get what they don't have. And coveting has some, some ugly cousins. Anger. Jealousy. Envy. When coveting is beginning to consume us, and boy, the problem with this sin is we, we don't even know we're dealing with it, much less that it's consuming us. But, but when it begins to consume us, we will literally begin to look on others, others who have, others who possess, others who have achieved, we'll look upon them with anger. I mean, we're offended. And we'll think we're righteous in our offense. We're, we're offended that they've done that, that they have that. Now, they haven't done anything wrong to me. They haven't done anything wrong to you. But we'll be offended, angered by what they have, by what they've done. Last couple of weeks, we've looked at uh, murder. We've looked at adultery, stealing, and lying. Do, do you know what can precede each of these sins? What often precedes these sins? Not always, but often. Coveting. Coveting is a dangerous sin because it's a, a precursor to so many others. And we don't even know that it's going on. Now, now what do we covet? What do we covet? Well, we, we covet people. We can covet a person. Now, when I say we can covet a person, I actually mean that in two different ways. We can covet a specific person we're looking at. We covet a sexual relationship. We, we covet a friend. Or, or maybe in work, we covet a, a relationship that can advance us. You know what I mean? It's not what you know, it's who you know, right? And we covet that relationship that will advance us. Or we can covet 
A kind of relationship. There may not even be a person attached to it at the moment. It's just a kind of relationship. Again, that, that relationship that will advance us at work or in life. We might covet a marriage. Of course, we can, we can covet position and status. Here's where we're desiring uh, power. We're desiring influence. We're desiring fame and popularity. Of course, we can covet accomplishment. Uh, we can accomplishment in, in the classroom, on the field of play, at work. We want to advance. We want to succeed. We want to accomplish. And of course, we can covet stuff. I mean, that, that's normally what we think of. It? When we hear the word covet, we, we think about coveting stuff. You know, a, a car, a house, jewelry, clothes, their vacation. I want their vacation. We covet stuff. And, and you know why we want these things? It's the same reason for all of us. We, and it can be different things, but when we look at those things, there's something that we've identified, we, we've seen it in somebody else, we've seen it on TV, we just believe it to be true. We've thought, man, when I get that person, when I get that position, when I accomplish that, if I could have that, I'll be happy. I'll be significant. I, I will have accomplished and we will put the weight of life on getting that. And that ultimately is what's happening in that, in that thing, in that person, in that position, in that place, in that is life. Well, man, if that's what you're going for, yeah, you're going to sacrifice a lot for life, aren't you? We'll give up everything for that. There's just one problem. God has promised, God has guaranteed, none of that's going to deliver. It won't work. I want to say it won't work. It can work for a moment. Man, if I could just get to that and you get it, man, this feels good. Man, I'm glad I've got that. Boy, this is working for me just what I thought. And that lasts anywhere from five minutes to maybe a couple of years. But inevitably, there's this thing in us that says, well, that if that worked, then more would work. And it just becomes a never-ending pursuit. It's more, it's more, it's more. And God has said, I promise you, it's not going to work. Do you know why He can promise that? He's going to make sure that it doesn't work. Well, what, wait, wait, wait a minute. Why, why, why would God make sure it doesn't work? Why, why would God make sure it doesn't satisfy? Because, folks, you can't chase stuff and God. You can't chase both. And so if God let these things give you life, you give your life to pursuing them, but when you get to the end of the life, all you have is eternal loss. All you have is eternal emptiness. And so really God in His protectiveness of His children says, be careful. Don't start down this path. Don't get going there. I'm going to make sure it doesn't work or you'll get stuck. You know what? The Father's Son comes along and He says the same thing to us. Jesus literally, you know, kind, loving, tender Jesus, grabs us by the lapels. Hey! Stupid! That's kind of way down in the Greek if you don't know the Greek language. You don't. He grabs us. Hey! And the reason I say Jesus is doing that because of these two words. He says in Luke 12, 15, He says, Hey, watch out! When do you yell watch out to somebody? Think about it. When, 
when you think they're oblivious to what's going on, they are, starts with an S, ends with a D, you know, they don't, they just don't have a clue. Watch out! And then he says, be on your guard! Man, if somebody tells you to be on your guard, man, you need to be on your guard tonight, they're going to egg your house. What are you going to do? You're going to be st- you're going to have lights on, you're going to be standing out there, you're going to be looking, you're careful. Being on your guard implies a readiness at every single moment. Now, Jesus doesn't say be on your guard, they're going to egg your house tonight. I don't I don't know if they did that back then, but that's not what he says, is it? No, he says be on your guard against greed. That's kind of a that's a synonym for coveting, isn't it? More, I want more, I want more, I want more. Because your life is not in the abundance of possessions. Jesus says, man, I'm telling you, you've got to watch out. You've got to be on your guard. You will get stuck. You will get caught. And you will think your life is that person. Your life is that possession. Your life is that position. And you'll give your whole life away for this. Watch out. Big question here. Do you believe him? I mean, we're sitting in church. Oh, yes, absolutely. I believe him. But I mean, really, like, will it change the way we live this week? Will we really believe he is life and all that other stuff is not? Now, let's let's ask a very fair question here. Is it actually wrong to desire? Is, Is it wrong to want a better house? Newer, better car? Is it wrong to want to advance at work, get a, get a promotion, you know, have more opportunity, more challenge, more responsibility, more paycheck? Is it wrong to want that? Is it wrong to want a certain kind of relationship? No. No, it's not wrong to want those things. The problem is in our pursuit of it, we almost always make it wrong. Nothing wrong with wanting a degree. Nothing wrong with wanting a promotion. Nothing wrong to want to advance. But somehow we get caught up in it and we always make it wrong. So now the question is, well, okay, then is there a way to do that without me messing it up? Is there a way to do that without me making it wrong? I I think there is. We just got to change what we're staring at. Desire faithfulness, not its product. Man, God has some wonderful things for the faithful. But don't desire the product. Desire faithfulness. Now, I've got three points I want to use to try to explain what this means. Okay? First point, realize that possessions and place, your your place in life, your position in life, realize all of that comes from God. 1 Chronicles 29.11 says, Riches and honor. What are riches? That's money. And what is money? That, that's my opportunity to get stuff, right? In some cases, money is an opportunity to get people. Riches, where does it come from? God. Honor. Honor. Getting the promotion. Being acknowledged for what you did. Advancement, accomplishment. Comes from God. Riches and honor come from you. And you are the ruler of everything. In your hand are power and might. It is in your hand to what? To make great 
It's in God's hand to advance. It's in God's hand for there to be more. It's in God's hand to make great and to give strength to all. Look at Psalm 75. Exaltation. That's a synonym for promotion. Promotion does not come from the east or the west or the desert. Promotion doesn't come from corporate. Promotion doesn't come from that boss. God is the judge of all. And He takes down one and He raises up another. Now, you know, I look at that and I say, man, God, you're, you're awesome. You, you give all that. You're the provider of all that. It all comes from... Wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Now I'm angry. If it all comes from Him and I don't have it, well, now I know who to blame. I thought it was that jerk of a boss who never acknowledges that I was the one doing all that. But this is saying you actually, at the end of the day, were over all that. Folks, God doesn't actually send the jerk of a boss to be a jerk, to be unfair, to sin, because God's not the author of sin. God doesn't send people to sin and to do wrong. But yes, at the end of the day, ultimately, God is in control. He is in control of all that. The promotion, the wealth, what you have, what you don't have, it all comes from Him. He's the giver of that. I've got to stop and realize, wait a minute, I don't need to be looking to all these things and people. I need to be looking to Him alone. And that ultimately leads to the question, will I be faithful with where I am? Will I be faithful with what I have? That's actually the second point. If, if it all comes from God, if this is all His, then the question is, am I going to be faithful? Now, when you're, when you're struggling... When you're struggling with why God isn't opening the door, you, well, why? Why isn't God doing that? You know what, folks? There's a variety of reasons. It could be sin. You know what? God loves you. He loves you so much, He sent the most valuable thing in His life, His Son, to die on a cross for you. And the work that Christ did on the cross will wash away all your sin. Because of the work of Jesus, there is an opportunity, if you'll place your faith and trust in Christ alone, there's an opportunity for you to have no barrier between you and God. No barrier between you and eternal life and heaven. And so we will say always, man, God loves you, God will forgive you, but because God loves you and forgives you doesn't mean then that He's okay with sin. God is never going to bless sin. See, we're talking about being faithful. If I'm being unfaithful, if I'm not doing right by my relationships, right by my possessions, if I'm not doing right in the positions that I'm in, God's not going to bless that. God's not going to open the door to more if there's sin. Now, there's some other reasons He might not be opening the door to more. Maybe He's testing us. Well, what's He testing? Whether I'll be faithful or not. Are you only happy if you're getting stuff? Are, are, is life only good if there's more? Will you do what you're called to do? Or is it just based on stuff? You might test faithfulness. It could be that the reason the, the door to more is not opening is because there's a timing. God actually intends on giving you exactly what you're hoping for and seeking. There's just a, a timing to it. And that timing is not this moment. Why? I don't know, but he does. His knowledge is perfect. 
It could be that God is trying to give you more, but you're so focused on what you think more is, you're missing what He's trying to provide. There's all kinds of reasons that the door to more might not be opening. The question is, will I trust Him? I can't see the reason, I can't tell the reason, but will I trust Him? And while I'm trusting, what am I going to do? I'm going to be faithful where I am with what I have. In regard, it is expected of what? Managers. You're a manager. You're not an owner. You know nothing on this planet. Start at your mailbox and go to the backyard. Everything you walk by, walk around, walk in belongs to God. Everything inside the house, the relationships. Everything at work, the relationships. The opportunities, the challenges, the failures, the successes. Every bit of it belongs to God. You are a manager of it. Folks, this is a huge theme in Scripture. A huge theme of Christ. Tells a number of parables and stories. Gives a number of commands. And you know what he says? When you're faithful, there's more. When you're unfaithful you probably lose even what you have. Will I be faithful with where I am? I want more and I want better, but will I be faithful with what I have at this moment? I want to advance and I want to achieve, but will I be faithful with where I am right here and right now? And the last point is be thankful. Be thankful. First Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus notice the word in very important preposition it doesn't say be thankful for everything it doesn't say I have to be thankful for cancer I have to be faithful for death I have to be thankful for losing my job I have to be thankful for betrayal and rejection I don't have to be thankful for it I'm thankful in it in the midst of these things, I'm thankful. Well, what, pray tell, would I be thankful for in the midst of those things? I'm thankful that no matter, no matter what situation hits my life, I have a good God. And He is in control. And He has promised, He has guaranteed that whatever the situation, He can use it for good in my life. That's what I'm thankful for. I can't see it, can't touch it, can't feel it right now. Sure doesn't seem like it. But that's the promise of God. That's what I'm thankful for. And do you see what thankfulness does, folks? It moves us in the opposite direction of coveting. Coveting and thankfulness are completely the opposite. When I'm being thankful, I'm seeing God and all that I have. When I'm coveting, all I'm seeing is what I don't have. As a matter of fact, if you struggle, if you notice, if you look back over, you know, I don't say thank you a whole bunch. Not to people, not to God. Not a very regular habit of mine. Probably that's a little bit of a sign that coveting is lurking. Folks, thankfulness ought to be one of the strongest disciplines in operation in our life to God and to others. We're constantly seeing and acknowledging all that we have and are blessed with. Coveting or gratitude is the best way that we fight coveting. And guess what? When I'm staring at all that I have, I'm reminded, whoops. Somebody gave this to me. I am to be faithful. Folks, I think we can pursue more and desire to achieve and to advance. But let faithfulness be the goal, not more. 
Let faithfulness be the goal, not happiness. Let faithfulness be the goal and not applause. Do you see the difference between coveting and faithfulness? In coveting, I'm looking at myself and how unhappy I am. In coveting, I am staring at some prize I believe will give me life. In faithfulness, I'm staring at Jesus. And really, the only thing that's important to me is how happy He is. It's a huge difference, isn't it? You cannot chase God and stuff. God's telling you that it's impossible. It won't work. Your body gets all messed up and ends up always going the wrong direction. Now watch this. Jesus comes along and he says, you know what? Here's what I'll do. You chase me. I'll take care of all the stuff. You chase the stuff, you lose everything. Chase me. I'll take care of all the stuff. Let's pray. Father, you've never done anything but bless. You've never done anything but be good. And ultimately, your blessing, your kindness, your goodness led you to give me your son. And with that, a wealth of eternity. I thank you, Father. I thank you for doing that for me. I thank you for, for giving that to me. God, as I'm mindful of how grac- grateful I am for that, I am humbled and I am convicted and I am so sorry that after giving such wealth, I am sidetracked by so little. I turn from the life I know I have in you that you have provided. And God, I look for such small, insignificant things to give me life and happiness. God, we're sorry for that. Lord, would this week, as we go throughout our week, would you, would you open our eyes to what we're looking to, to what we're depending upon? God, this is a sin. We just, we just rarely acknowledge this. I would imagine many of us in this room somewhere in the last week, the last month, we've confessed some sin. Or I bet most of us haven't, couldn't remember the last time we confessed coveting. And yet I know we're all struggling with it because it is the American way. God, would you let us see where we're being trapped by more, more, more. Would you turn our heart and our mind and our life back to you? And God, as we move through life wanting to accomplish and achieve, may we keep our eyes on you. May you always remain our goal. God, we need help. You know we're weak. You know we'll mess it up. That's why you told us, don't even start down this path. So God, would you help me this week to see where I'm on that path? Help me to get off of it. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.